Blog Talk Radio. I'll help you in a second. Hello, everybody. This is Sam, host of Open World, formerly known as Against the Green. And before I get started, I need to do a quickie search for my kid and her phone. Apparently, her phone disappeared on her. Because, you know, when you got things to do, priorities mean jack shit when you got kids. That's okay, though. It's all good. It's all good. So I'm going to take a quick detour looking around for this phone. I can't find the phone. I know she brought it inside. I'll tell you what. I wish I wish I had live video because I would love to show you guys a little bit of a score I got at the uh, the thrift store today. I don't know. I haven't been really talking a lot about it on the radio show the past little while, but I have been getting, like, disgustingly infatuated with terrariums. Terrariums and aquariums. And when I tell you that I am on, like, an aquarium kit, I just, it, it should be illegal. Okay, I'll help you look after, or your daddy can help you look after. And I picked up, I'll have to, I'll have to, like I said, when you get video going here, we're in the process of making live video happen. I would love to show you guys some of the, little aquariums and stuff I got going on because I don't know if you guys follow the uh the guy follow father fish on YouTube if you haven't really paid attention to anything aquariums and you want to start getting into aquariums and you really want to start getting into like natural aquariums which is more than just like the gravel and the pump and create like essentially self-sustaining systems little mini ecosystems um that you can have like dozens upon dozens of species of fish in there and then be able to not only have them survive, but to be able to thrive, to have an entirely enclosed, essentially an ecosystem where these fish feed themselves because they have a bunch of little critters and things in there. And then like, I don't know, it's absolutely phenomenal. Go check out Father Fish. And when we get live video, I'm going to show you guys my first attempt at a natural aquarium here. I got a little beta aquarium. Essentially, what you have to do is you have to put about an inch, couple, an inch or two of uh, dirt on the bottom of your tank. Make sure you got some dirt. Food dirt is better if you can go get pond dirt. That works. And then you want to put an inch or two of sand on top of that. And the sand keeps the dirt from coming up through the sand and creating one hell of a mess in the tank. But then it also allows the nutrients and things to go down through the sand into the dirt. The dirt, you know, whenever you look at natural uh, systems, usually you find, like, sand and then, like, that mud, that mud dirt underneath. Let's go to a lake. You'll you'll know what I mean if you go into a lake that isn't a man-made beach. You'll find, like, a sand, and it's not very far underneath. It's squishy and goopy, and it's a gross-ass yuck that it's like that, that, that dirt there, it, it's phenomenal. I don't know. I just I find it absolutely fascinating that I've been getting into this stuff, and it is so cool. We'll do your research tomorrow. Anyway, we're going to bring Rod on because I don't really have a whole lot to say today. I've just been a little busy getting some stuff done and stuff done around the house. Um, 
and like focusing on terrariums, but I'm sure he has something to say. I'd love to go over some current world events and stuff if he's bored today too. But hey, Rod. Hello. How are you? There's an old right? That sounds like you're talking about clay soil underneath the sandy soil. Yeah, it's like that yucky, goopy clay soil. There's an old saying, which probably you know. Add clay to sand, money in hand. Add sand to clay, throw money away. So if you've got some sandy soil, you can add a bit of clay to it and make it better. But if you've got clay soil, it's hopeless. Good to know. I'm just going to let you chat here for a minute as I move my entire operation into the bedroom. The husband just came home. It's loud. There's kids. There's dogs. There's probably gremlins mixed in the mix here at some point. That wouldn't surprise me. That would make sense why all my socks are going missing. So I'm going to hand you the floor here as I move the operations. If there's anything you want to talk about here. Oh, dear. Um, I did a little, just a little looking at the permaculture book, but not enough to be able to say anything coherent. Indigenous Australians doing something interesting. All right, and I'm back. Because, you know, little people. Little people. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. I took out my book on permaculture, and now I have to give it back. I haven't even had a chance to really crack it yet, and i got to give it back here soon. So I've got to start burning through this thing right away. You know what's really interesting? You know, it's really interesting. I got into a discussion because um, I'm I'm going a little hard on the Japanese. A friend of mine really wants to learn Japanese. So I'm just kind of learning on it on my own time. This is kind of a mission that we kind of tried to plan like a couple years ago. And mm-hmm. it just kind of fell through. You know, I, I already told you about this. But just for the listeners, um, we're working on Japanese because a friend of mine really wants to learn Japanese because she wants to get the business level. And she wants to move to Japan. She's got big endeavors and things like that. So she asked me to learn some Japanese with her. And I'm like, you know what? Why not? Why not? Let's just learn Japanese. I love anime. I love the culture. I love the food. You know, why not? Whether or not I would ever go there, well, that's another question. It depends on if they even let me in the country. But, hey, you know what? I'm not going to strike it off. I'm not going to strike it off. But I was actually talking to this guy because I signed up for Tandem again. And if anybody's listening, Tandem is a web app, web browser thing, where it's kind of like Facebook. You just, that's actually like bare bones compared to Facebook, I guess. Um, You sign up, and then it allows you to be able to speak to people across the planet that are looking to engage and just talk. It's like Messenger for people that just mm-hmm. want to talk and get to know other people in other countries. And then you can learn other languages with other people. I signed up and I had a couple fellas hit me up because they want to practice their English, their colloquial English. 
And it's like, mm. buddy, you came to the right spot because that's all I do is colloquialisms all day long. There's not a shred of professionalism in my body unless I absolutely have to. So what kind of colloquialisms do you want, homeboy? Because I'm fairly fluent in all areas of Canada, a lot of places in the United States, and I got a pretty good grasp on things like British as well. <laughs> they do TV dramas. All right. But, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's actually really cool because I was talking to this guy, and I'm not going to say his name, but he was talking about how he was essentially in, like, a Japanese kind of a commune, um, kind of a commune. Like, they, they just kind of lived, like, permaculture style. And it was actually a really, really good conversation. He sent me the website link and everything, and he said, like, anybody can go. You just, you know, don't don't go there for the wrong purposes. Go there for the right purposes. If you actually want to go and learn and be part of something and things, like, definitely go. But if you're just going to be, like, a, I'm not going to knock on crystal hippies, but a crystal hippie, not that crystals are bad, not that being a hippie is bad, but a lot of these new age crystal hippies, they don't really, they, they feign having a connection to the earth. They do their yoga, they drink their smoothies, and then meanwhile, they do literally nothing else. And they don't hold themselves accountable. They're a bunch of abusive, shitty people. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the spiritual community is ridiculous. There's my little rant. But we were getting in a discussion because he was saying that the permaculture that they have there is not quite the same as the permaculture they have here. And I'm, I just kind of chuckled to myself. Because it's like, you know, the only reason the permaculture here even exists, and unfortunately it's been really tainted with a lot of people who just want to do cheap bullshit shit that want to sell like $700 courses for like, not again, not knocking on chat GPT, but they go and they take everybody else's information, slap together a little bullshit course, and then turn around and sell it for a few hundred dollars. Meanwhile, their garden is just a plot of dirt with, like, a fucking single dandelion growing in it. It's like, buddy, like, not going to knock on people that don't, you know, make it their life work or anything like that. I mean, granted, if you're going to be selling courses, you should have, in my opinion, at least a bit of experience and a bit of um, a bit of proof to back your work. Because you can sit in a classroom all day long and talk about permaculture, but to actually get out and experience it, that's where the real knowledge comes in. Because it's a little different with that kind of science than it is for other kinds of science. But even scientists, they want to get out in the field and do their experiments and things and prove their theories correct. Because that's, that's where the knowledge really comes in. But... I was telling him, like, you know, Bill Mollison is the one who kind of coined permaculture. And what he did was he started talking to indigenous groups and he is, um, he was getting involved with, you know, indigenous knowledge and things like that. And he basically just kind of coined it in a term that like Westerners would kind of understand. And like I said, unfortunately, it got really tainted and it got commercialized stupidly. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not going to, it's like, I have to reiterate these things because if you don't reiterate these things, there's always that one guy out there that's going to be like, eh, but, but 
your money, like your, your, your work is worth value. So I'm not going to knock and say that like your time and your effort are not worth value. And unfortunately, at this point in time, we see value through fiat currency. Would that, would, if that could change, that would make me happy. But that's not going to change anytime soon, unfortunately. People aren't at that level of consciousness, consciousness right now, unfortunately. And they're too shick and shit to actually create their own systems and utilize anything else because that's a whole other story for a whole other time. But... I told him, it's like, you know, our our Western permaculture is kind of shit. It's kind of shit. And depending on who you talk to, you can tell the really good permaculturists if they actually acknowledge and sit down with people who have carried on, like, traditional knowledge for a really long time, and they just want to share and make it known. Like, again, it's not to say that your time isn't worth value, which equals money in, like, you know, commercialization speak. But it's like there's so many people out there that, again, like they're, they're, they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it because of ego and they want to make money. And it, it's really, really sad, to be honest. So I would really, like if I, if I could, I mean, I don't really know. Just because I'm scared of flying, I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm going to fly and then that's going to be my undoing because the plane is just going to miraculously blow an engine or something and I'm going to hit the ocean. That's it for me. But... I would, I would love to start getting involved with, um, especially the Northern Hemisphere and their permaculture groups and stuff across the planet. Not that I don't enjoy, like along the equator or like the Southern Hemisphere, but like I am so fucking scared to like go to Africa and then end up with weird like what flies or like parasites in my eyes that I didn't even know until 30 years later when I started going blind or like get some weird fucking disease that we've never even heard of before. It's like, I love that place. I love the culture. I love the people, but like the snakes and the spiders and the parasites, I'll, I'll, I'll fucking, I'll risk it with the bears. (laughs) I'm so sorry, but I will risk it with the bears. There's, there's certain things that are just, so much on my ick factor that it's like, man, that place just scares the fuck out of me. So well, that's, that's I'd get mauled by a lion. Right. That's the advantage of living in a place where it freezes in the winter. All those little critters mm-hmm. yep. can't live through the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when it's when it's moist and full of when the ground is moist and full of nutrients all year round and and warm, yeah, you're going to get all kinds of things going. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I know, like, a lot of the traditional knowledge and medicines and things, like, I know a lot of those things can, like, hell heal you as compared to, like, a lot of modern medicine and things, but, like, I don't know, man, just the, just the thought of even, like, experiencing that. It's, like, those fucking butt flies and, you know, and malaria. It's, like, if it would, if that shit would go away, then I would be more than happy to visit. I would love to, but as it stands, I would die before I get back. So, no thanks. No thanks. Hey, actually, there's something that I just saw. I want, I don't know if you saw it. Hold on. Let me see. Let me see. I want to have you look at this because I literally just Googled it quick when I was checking emails because I never check my email when I don't open my computer, my computer's been closed for like 
freaking five days. So now that it's open again, my life is a little less chaotic. So I'm getting a lot of stuff done here. Um, uh, okay, hold on. Okay, did you see this? Hogue Fenton, Hoagie Fenton, HogueFenton.com. Effective January 2024, reporting companies, see below, will be required to disclose the identities of their ultimate beneficial owners, specifically including all individuals who hold a significant ownership stake in or exert substantial control over the entity. That was posted August 19th, 2023. Did you hear that? No. Are you there, Rod? I did not hear of that. Okay, well, I'm going to crack this. I'm going to crack a couple of these articles open because a friend of mine shared this with me this afternoon when I was, like you said, in the middle of scheduling posts for our Christmas market. And I hadn't had a chance to really Google it until right before I got onto the show. Um, they seem to be saying they're going to catch Russians. So, well, you know, all these pop-ups would be just fuck off. That'd be okay. Okay, so this is from Forbes. Apparently, this was happening already back in like 2022. This is an article. You don't have Facebook anymore, do you? Because I send you this article. Mm. This one is from December 12, 2022. If you want to go to Google and then just type in, um, if I can find my Google, LLC Changes 2024. There's the first article that's the Hoagie Fenton article and the second article that's the Forbes article. I'm reading the Forbes article. Okay, so it says Forbes, uh, massive new federal reporting requirements will start in 2024. This was posted December 12, 2022 from Forbes.com. Do you own 25% or more of a limited liability company, partnership, or other small entity that owns real estate or runs a small business? Any of these a quote-unquote company? Are you the president, CEO, or general counsel, or the COO of a company? Even if you don't have that title, do you perform a similar role? Do you have substantial control over over any company? If you answer yes to any of those questions, then starting in 2024, you will need to register or be registered in a new federal database designed to identify and ferret out criminals, money launderers, and other bad actors who use companies to conceal their identities and evil deeds. That registration requirement will apply for every company for which you answer yes to any and maybe more. Each registration will need to include your name, date of birth, residential street address, a business address won't do, a driver's license or other ID number, and a photograph of the document substantiating that number. This information will mostly be collected online. If anyone registered in the database moves to a new residence, the new address must be reported within 30 days. Someone will need to keep track of where a company's executives and owners live as well as any time they relocate. 
The new reporting requirements don't apply to larger companies or a long list of regulated companies such as banks and insurance companies. The requirements target only smaller companies that seem to be where the bad guys go. Any company that already exists as of January 1st, 2024 will need to register by the end of that year. Companies newly created on or after January 1st, 4 will need to register within 30 days of creation. Special registration requirements apply for anyone who files the paperwork necessary to create companies. It remains to be seen whether those requirements will lead law firms to stop handling that work. These and many other new requirements appear in the regulations recently released by the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, part of the U.S. Treasury Department in response to the Corporate Transparency Act. You can read it starting at page 1218 of the PDF file. Congress enacted this law in 2021 over a presidential veto. The regulations as first published occupy about 20 pages of double-spaced text. They are 300 double-spaced pages with 446 footnotes explaining among other things, why the new database and registration requirements won't be unreasonably burdensome. The 300 double-spaced page, pages dismissed in passing the possibility that the law enforcement community could obtain any of the newly required information through existing Internal Revenue Service, Social Security, Motor Vehicle, or postal change of address databases. There are specific legal and regulatory frameworks that limit FinCEN's ability to obtain information from other agencies. The comment ignores the possibility that the same federal government that now wants to have the new company database could also do something about information exchange between bureaucratic silos, silos, whatever. The entire FinCEN Regulations, that's F-I-N-C-E-N, regulations and commentary can be reviewed in printed format where they occupy only 99 pages here. There's a little link there. The legislation that required FinCEN to create this new database also requires all the collected information to be kept confidential and to be used only for law enforcement, including tax enforcement. One can only hope that no federal employee who will administer this database and enforce its requirements will ever have to share any information, not even for pay or for political advantages against opponents, especially those deemed a danger to, to, sorry, a danger to democracy. And that's a quote, unquote. As the world becomes aware of this new database, it seems reasonable to expect some pressure for mission creep, that's quote unquote, such as by making the information available to anyone with a quote, legitimate need, unquote, for the information, perhaps starting with Private Investigators Treasury Act already opens that door a bit by allowing disclosure to financial institutions with the consent of the reporting company. 
It's a consent that, as a practical matter, no company would ever, sorry, could ever refuse. FinCEN estimates the new database will require initial filings for over 30 million companies. Each year for the next 10 years, FinCEN estimates 5 million new companies will need to file. These numbers seem high. The annual estimate far, far exceeds the annual estimate that appeared in the Corporate Treasury Act itself. But these are FinCEN's, FinCEN's numbers. Based on FinCEN's numbers, if the new database enables law enforcement to catch 10,000 bad guys who otherwise wouldn't have been caught, then for each such bad guy, about 3,000 companies or more over time will need to register and then up someone moves to a new house or apartment. If the new system catches less than 10,000 bad guys, which seems likely, then the reference to 3,000 companies in the previous sentence is an understatement. Although the Corporate Treasury Transparency Act and the FinCEN's regulations require extensive reporting on companies and on FinCEN's information gathering, they do not require any reporting at all on whether the new database, in fact, over time, enables any law enforcement agency to catch bad guys. Huh. More likely, of course, bad guys will give the information inaccurate or incomplete information. Why would bad guys suddenly turn good or figure out new ways to hide? As a result, the new database system with all its millions of registrations and updates, a new federal workforce, total cost in the billions of dollars on an annual basis, according to FinCEN, penalties for failure to file, will just force law enforcement to develop new investigative techniques. And that was written by Joshua Stein. What's your thoughts? Well. They're doing what they do. Thought. They're doing what they do. That is definitely true. I just, I'm just, I'm kind of beside myself because I'm also hearing that now that that's coming into effect starting January, a lot of these bigger, small companies are going to start leaving the country and go somewhere else. Because, like, if the whole point of a limited liability corporation was to have limited liability and, like, keep you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just my current comprehension. If the whole point of a limited liability was to keep the company away from you, what the fuck is the point of having all of your information suddenly in a database? All of it, up to and including where you live, database, that they can come find you at any time. And so can any stalker. So can any stalker. I mean, you're going to tell me that there's not going to be the potential, especially, you know, when this guy brings up that the whole, the, 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 um, 
people who are threats to our democracy. Like, you're not going to tell me that somebody isn't going to hack that system just to, like, get your information and then release it to the Internet, the dark web? Like, then what? Then what? Like, their pursuit of safety so you don't get screwed just ends up leading to you getting more and more screwed. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, let's see what's going on. Oh, I'm actually curious to see what's happening in the news regarding taxes. Mm. Saskatoon City Council raises property taxes 6.04% for next year. Of course they are. Mm. Well, hold on. What's this? Let me see. Let me see. National Post. Tasha... Sheridan, First Nations sue over discriminatory carbon tax. Will Gil, Gil Belt resign? I doubt it, but hey, let's check this out. This was published today, December 1st, 2023. This, was, this is on the nationalpost.com. Federal government exempted home heating oil from its punitive carbon taxes. When the hell did they do that? They only did that for, like, northern or, like, um, they only did it for, like, northern areas and I think, New Brunswick. I know Saskatchewan, they went, like, full bore, like, totally crazy, where they told the federal government that if the federal government doesn't slow the roll on the carbon tax for things like heating oil um, across Canada, that Saskatchewan was going to be exempting itself. It was basically like, did you do it for everybody or we're just going to exempt ourselves because you, that's why. Anyway, I'm going to have to look a little more into that. The Chief of Ontario and Attawapiskat First Nation have filed a lawsuit against the federal government. Of course, it's Attawapiskat. Of course, it's them. Why, why am I even surprised? One of the most crooked reserves out there. A lot of good people on there. And I, I can appreciate and understand what they're fighting for, but they're a crooked reserve. Anyway, uh, over what they allege is discriminatory and anti-reconciliatory application of the Greenhouse Gas and Pollution Pricing Act, GPPE, to First Nations. Their main arguments resemble those advanced by rural communities, notably a lack of options when it comes to fuel for things like transportation or industry. The twist is that while non-Indigenous taxpayers get 90% of charges refunded through tax rebates, this is not the case for First Nation members because property and income on reserve tax are exempt, and most Indigenous people do not use the income tax system. Okay. I mean, taxes are bullshit to begin with, but okay. Faced with discrepancy, Ottawa promised to return 0.07% of the total charges collected in Ontario to the province's First Nations, but the chief says this number is arbitrary and inaccurate or inadequate. What the hell? We don't get 90% charges refunded through tax rebates. 
Where the hell are they pulling that number? That's a whole lot of nonsense. Anyway, the, okay. In a press release, Chief, Num, Chief Abram Benedict, Environment Portfolio Lead at Chiefs of Ontario and Grand Chief of Aquestine, was not impressed. First Nations see the reality of climate change every single day and expect Canada to address it. However, we do not accept a regime that creates new burdens on First Nations, which already face deep infrastructure and economic challenges. Out of one side of your mouth. We don't we don't like what you're doing, but if you're not going to exempt us from the taxes for it, then well, you know we're going to have a problem with that. Well, wait the fuck a minute. Either you have a problem with what's going on. Or you just don't care so long as you get the money. And before I go on a rant for that, before I go on a rant for that, the Indian Act is a trust that holds the money in the land in trust for the First Nations people. And that's why a special class of person was created called the Indians that are wards of the crown. And I think that entire system is absolute bullshit. And at any time, according to the, 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 the treaties, the Indian Act or whatever, the Indigenous people, the First Nations of Canada, can approach the Crown, dispel the Indian Act, send the Corporation of Canada on its way, and have the money and the resources go back in their own pocket. So if anybody is listening to this right now, and that's what I'm about to point out here, and you've got to stick up your ass, just know that at any time, you could get rid of the Corporation of Canada if you all got together and told Canada to go fuck its cat. I'm just putting that out there. In fact, you know, it would be really, really nice, really nice if people could start getting it together and maybe do that. Because there's a lot of contracts that we have with China that are really not doing good. The way Canada keeps selling out the resources to other countries, there's going to be nothing left for the indigenous people the way Canada keeps outsourcing all the monies and outsourcing all the corporations and outsourcing all the land and things, but guess what? There is a possibility, there is a possibility that those contracts that have been done with Canada could cease to exist just like a bankruptcy. They could just cease to exist if Canada also ceases to exist. I'm just putting it out there. It's a possible theory. And if people want to comment on that, go right ahead. Anyway, continuing, I think it's absolute bullshit bullshit that they're saying well and i'm not this is not a white man versus a native man thing i just think it's really fucking silly that they say well we don't like what you're doing to canada and it's causing climate change but you know it's the lesser of the evils if we're exempt taxes from heating oil like either you're for it or you're not for it and if you're going to exempt your care for it because you're going to exempt your care away from it simply because you suddenly become exempt of taxes, which, yet again, those resources belong to you in the first place, and the Crown is taking them and putting it in the Consolidated Revenue Fund and taking your taxes that you get from your hard-earned frickin' job, Israel and Ukraine, which is being laundered, and they're killing people over it. But, you know, we're just going to go off on that rant on another time. I just find it particularly hilarious that they're literally admitting, hey, we're willing to look the other way as long as you make sure that we're exempt from taxes. What the fuck is that? Anyway, continuing on. 
The Chiefs are now demanding a judicial review of this policy, something they say would have been unnecessary if federal officials had bothered to engage with them. Well, that's the whole point of the treaties and the fact that the government does not address the indigenous people every single fucking time they do something means that they have broken these treaties a million times over. And it's about time these people do a backbone and pull these people who are fucking making the fantasy of Canada all caps real to go fuck their hat. How many times do these people need to break the treaties? And see, here's another thing, is they keep talking about the treaties, but meanwhile, through the Statute of Westminster and the Indian Act and all these other things, this is why they're able to keep doing the shit to the indigenous people that they do. This is why they can keep doing it, because the treaties don't fucking matter to these people. They don't matter. They will keep breaking the treaties a million times over because they created the Indian Act. And they created a special class of person, and they created these people to be wards of the state. And they're doing this in your best interest. See, this is the evil, devious thing that they do, is they do these things in what they deem to be your best interest. They don't need to consult you. They don't need to talk to you. That's why they keep breaking the treaties over and over. If you're a ward, you're unable to make your own decisions because, A, either you're juvenile, and you don't have a full fucking comprehension of what's going on, you're too senile, and you don't have a full comprehension of what's going on, or you're disabled, and you don't have a full comprehension of what's going on. Those are usually the people that are deemed as wards, of, as particularly the state. Now, these ones just happen to be wards of the crown. The crown is like, don't worry, we'll just, we're going to take everything you own, we're going to stick you on these little bitty plots of land, and uh, we're going to take away your culture. We're going to take away your your uh, your lifestyle. We're going to take away your language. We're going to fucking take away absolutely everything from you, including your children. And we're going to stick them in government schools. They're not public education. It's fucking government education. And, yeah, sure, we did things like, you know, did experiments on them, like nutrition experiments. Yeah, sure, like, you know, we did things like, you know, not every single school, but there was some cases where, a nun would kick a child down the stairs and their neck would break, or a priest would rape a little girl and get her pregnant and then kill the baby. You know, it's not like those, you know, it's not a big deal. We're, we're just going to let that slide. You know, it's not like they tried to commit a loose version of genocide or anything. This is all in your best interest. This is all in your best interest. Like, Fuck me. I am just, I get so mad when I hear this shit. It's just, it just blows my absolute mind to watch an entire group of people. I am so sorry that I am going on such, just a wild rant. But it just blows my mind that this government can do this to these people over and over and over again, over the course of a fucking century, man. Break every contract in the book. Commit loose genocide. Like, just kill people outright. But it's all okay. Oh, and then that's another thing. Here, you want to hear another thing? I talked about this on my last little bit when Pixie fell out. Oh, you know this whole thing that happened with COVID with the mandate? Yeah, well, there was a there was a pass system for Indigenous people, and it was mandated. It wasn't written into law. These people saying that it was written into law. No, you're full of shit, my guy. It was a mandate. It was never written into law that these people were required to stay on the reserves and then get a pass from the reserve agent in order to be able to leave 
and then had to be back at a certain time. This is the craziness of this. It wasn't even legal because it wasn't a law. It was a mandate. And when people started figuring out that it was a mandate, and I read this on, like, it was a couple months ago. I had actually read this on a government website, a history government website, that when they started inquiring about it, they were actually told, the resident agents and stuff were actually told to shut the fuck up about it because if the indigenous people start figuring out that it wasn't a law and it was just a mandate and that they didn't have to abide by it, that they would just stop doing it. So let's just keep the rules up for as long as possible until they finally figure it out and put their foot down. And that's exactly what fucking happened. Ooh, that, that just makes, that just burns my butt. I am just frustrated. Whenever I read things, it just, ooh. <sighs> Continuing what? on with the article. You know, I wonder if there it would be possible to get, if like a public record request, the names of people who are putting up with this past system. Here's another problem with this past system is they tried to burn all the evidence. They tried to literally get rid of the evidence, and it's a little wild because the government tried saying that the past system never really happened. Up until very recently, the government was saying the past system is fake. It never really happened until these elders off the reserve are showing up and it's like, really, you're going to tell me this piece of paper that I had to sign? that the, the reserve agent had to sign, you're going to tell me that this piece of paper, this government document is fake? They tried to get rid of it. They did that shit, and because it wasn't a law, they tried to get rid of it. These fuckers tried to hide it. And now it's coming to light. So there is no real official a lot of records, because they tried to get rid of them. So... Well, you might be surprised. There might be, there might be some records somewhere. Saying, I'm not saying don't. There might definitely be some records somewhere. That's definitely a possibility that if somebody's interested in that, they could submit a request for that information. However, don't be surprised is what I'm saying. Is don't be surprised if you turn up fairly empty-handed. Is what I'm saying is because up until yeah. the last 10 years, they were lying trying to say that it was fake. Yeah. You know, there was a, uh, apparently an illegal uh, committee composed of members of the uh, more than one branch of government uh, deciding what the motor vehicle laws would be. And then the members, that the rec- they had records, and that was in the possession of some government person and they say, oh, well, we shredded it. And emails, just like all this stuff. Well, it never happened if there was no proof of it. Go ahead and try and prove it. And that's the disgusting thing. Although certain aspects of that I can absolutely definitely appreciate and will defend in court kind of thing that it's like you need to have proof of claim. But when you've got a bunch of sick, fucked up people doing the sick, fucked up shit they do, and then they delete the proof right before they get caught, they destroy it all. And then you're lucky, lucky, if you can even get them to court. And you just barely hold them on, and you might get one of them. Might. This is what they do. Anyway, continuing on. 
Um, the judicial review is completely avoidable if Canada only showed up to the table, said Benedict. I sincerely hope that Canada gets the message that reconciliation and collaboration are non-negotiable. And policy made about us without us is never acceptable. Yeah, show up and work with us so we can come up with solutions that make sense. The fact that they don't shows that they don't give a fuck about you. Anyway, the timing couldn't be worse for the federal government as the Canadian delegation makes its appearance at COP28, the annual global climate conference unfolding this week in Dubai. The chief's claim is accompanied by an open letter to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in which they characterize the fuel charge cost of First Nations citizens as another cash grab for Canada, removing several several million dollars a year from those least responsible for the climate crisis. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but okay. With the heavy emphasis on Indigenous rights, Environment Minister Stephen Gillibald, or whatever, is now in the embarrassing position of defending attacks that hurt Indigenous people while having given non-Indigenous Canadians a break on their heating oil, all for political reasons. It also puts the minister in a no-win situation because of his pledge that, as long as I'm the Environment Minister, there will be no exemptions carbon pricing. In other words, if the government doesn't give First Nations a break, it's breaking its promise on reconciliation. Oh my God. But if it does give them an exemption, the minister is breaking his promise not to allow additional carve-outs and should resign. If the chief lawsuit is just the latest assault is just the latest assault on the government's green energy policies. Last week, the government of Saskatchewan brought in Bill 151, which exempts fast energy officials from federal punishment for defying federal law and gives the energy minister the power not to pay carbon tax. Vowed on on January 1st, 2024, the Crown Corporation will not remit carbon tax on home heating fuel to Ottawa setting it up for a slew of legal and political wrangling. And then there's Alberta. On Monday, Premier Danielle Smith's government introduced a resolution that instructs governments and provincial utility entities to ignore the federal government's proposed clean electricity regulations when they come into force to the extent legally permissible. The regulations would require Canada's electricity grid to generate net zero emissions by 2035, something Smith says is both impossible and undesirable in her oil-producing jurisdiction. With the carbon tax bleed from a thousand cuts, the Canadians and Canadians increasingly opposed to it, you would think the government would do the sensible thing and put put it on the scrap heap where it belongs. Then again, Voters might just do that for them. Holy fuck. Like, I, I, you know, honest to God, Rod, I feel like just smashing my brain into a brick fucking wall and just ending it all, reading this kind of shit. Between the Indian Act, which I literally just, you know, went off about, there's also a court case with Tasquin versus Littlechild, in which case the judge literally determined that you as an MP, a member of parliament, are not 
legally responsible to have to listen to. You were only legally responsible and beholden to Parliament only. Your only remedy as a peasant, a.k.a. a Canadian citizen, you are a peasant. Feudalism. Hello. Wake up, kiddos. The only remedy that you have is to be able to vote somebody else in. And even then, they don't have to listen to you. They are beholden to Parliament only because they should be able to govern the people in their best interest without actually being beholden to the people. So in other words, they're removing the responsibility and giving a bunch of fucking dictators the total right to do whatever the fuck they want to. That's what they did with fucking people can sit there and say it's a constitutional marking. No, man, it's a straight dictatorship. That they can just do whatever the fuck they want. And go ahead trying to have, what is it, what is it? Uh, ah, there's a, there's a word for it where you can go in and like have them vote them out or whatever. It's not going to work because they have to actually approve that in parliament too. Ah, I can't figure the name of it for, for the life of me. Um, cause it was when I was with the Rick, the Rick Alliance referendum. Um, what? The whole thing ref- is a referendum is when you send something to the voters. Refer something to the voters. Mm-hmm. I need to breathe. I am nothing short of frustrated. Read this. And, like, think, like, it's just, I don't know, man. It's like you're you're literally turtles in a bucket trying to pull each other out of the bucket. Or, you know, you a turtle is trying to escape, and they're all just pulling each other back into the bucket. It's like a bunch of animals in a cage fighting over the last scrap of meat. It's just like, holy fudgicles. Like, are you kidding me? Are you, do you not see the cage that you're in? Like, take a step out of the cage, man. Take a step out of the cage. Like, the whole thing is a freaking mess. The whole thing. And you've been mind-controlled. Government. Gouverneur mentis literally means to control the mind. This is why they say govern yourself accordingly. Control yourself accordingly. Hello? My goodness. Just ridiculous. Wow. Apologies to anybody listening, man. Like, I just, this is, this is me, like, hopped up, and I am just mad. Ridiculous. Why am I even looking up taxes? I'm just going to spend this whole freaking radio show swearing and freaking out. You know what? We're going to take a quick five-minute commercial break here because I am perched. My mouth is dry from yelling at absolutely nothing but air. So, We will be back in a quick minute here, guys, and we're going to go find some other news that's not total nonsense. I'll be right back. Do you love the outdoors? Do you want to help make a difference for the planet? Then get involved in Collectively Rewilding. Collectively Rewilding is a movement to restore degraded ecosystems and reinvigorate sustainable traditions almost lost by working together. 
It's based on the idea that we can achieve more by working together than we can by working alone. Sharing the skill sets we have built over the years with each other and providing the community support we all need when there is so much work to be done in finding a sustainable future. To join our community here in Collectively Rewilding, go to www.collectivelyrewilding.com. Let's bring nature back into our lives in a community built for the wild in all of us. Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. from delivering the truth and exposing the lies. Join Russ and myself every Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. until 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time while we deliver the truth about what's really going on in the world. You don't want to miss our shows. See you then. We talk a lot about the kingdom here, and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same. And we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints. But they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And join us on Facebook. Facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the word. Food waste is one of the most easily solvable problems, literally the low-hanging fruit of environmentalism. Pardon the pun, it's my job. About 20% of all produce never makes it off the farm. It's because they just look a little funny, a little weird, but when you cut into it, it's perfectly good food. It's just a total shame. It's totally good stuff. We buy ugly produce directly from farms that often would go to waste because supermarkets won't buy it because of how it looks, and we deliver it to people's doors.
I didn't know that there was beauty standards for an apple. This isn't that ugly at all. Like, that's the most common first box, like, complaint we get. We change that. We educate people. We show them how amazing these fruits and vegetables are. Have food delivered to your house. Box of produce every week. And it's more affordable. At a very reasonable price. Cheaper than the grocery store. I spend a lot less time in grocery stores. It's an adventure every time that you open your box. High-quality produce. There's nothing wrong with the produce. And they taste exactly the same. It's not better. Save those fruits and vegetables that get wasted every year. And it's delivered to your door like, but what you do? why wouldn't you do? Why wouldn't you do? Please go to our website, freedomizerradio.live, and sign up for Imperfect Foods today. Use our promo code and get money off your first order. Go ahead and get some organic and all-natural meats, dairy, snacks, breads, and non-GMO produce. Most people say they hate wearing shoes and would go barefoot if they knew they were allowed. People say it all the time on their social medias, but they are worried that someone will say something to them. So everyone wears the cheapest flip-flops with the least amount of fabric on them. Most people do not even know that it's completely 100% legal to go barefoot into a store. Most people think that driving barefoot is illegal, but it isn't. Driving barefoot actually is safer than wearing most shoes. Going outside barefoot for a walk is one of the healthiest things you could do, but most people are afraid someone will say so. Or they quote the myths and the rumors that their grandma told them years ago. The fact is, there are no laws against driving a car, going to a store, or eating in a restaurant barefoot. So don't give in to bad fashion, hurt heels, or a broken flip-flop. For more information, please check out barefootislegal.org or find us on your favorite social media. guys i am back this is sam host of open world formerly known as against the grain and before we get right back into it again i want to let everybody know that the sacred woman festival has early bird tickets um you can find the sacred women festival uh www.sacredwomanfestival.com the first 25 tickets sold will receive a swag bag at the gate not only do they have early bird tickets, which are also less in price, they're also willing to do payment plans. So if there's any ladies out there that would like to travel to Porcupine Plains, Saskatchewan, and uh, be involved in a three-day uh, event with seminars and food and making connections and feeling that womanly vibe, um definitely check out sacred woman festival um i know the organizers are really really awesome people i will be there um talking about value and what we choose in terms of value and how we can utilize the sacred uh, the hermetic principles um as a basis of natural law when choosing what value means to us in terms of getting back to the basics of, you know, getting away from moral relativism and finding our path according to what we're meant to do in life, uh, getting back to nature, so to speak. So finding value in nature and making choices based on that. It's really, really cool. Uh, seminar, um, if you miss it, you can't make it, I'm going to have it up on my website. I'll be launching my website, Trivium Coaching. 
um, at some point in the near future here, and I'll have that available for everybody to give a watch to there. Um, I'll have a bunch of goodies and fun stuff, and we'll have a members-only section. It's for my coaching stuff, but I'll have, I'll have I'll, if, if you don't want to join the coaching or the membership or whatever, there will be a, a ton of free resources, and I would love to actually get in touch with Mark Cassio, uh, Will Keller, and get those folks on there on my radio show as well, or do like a private interview, upload those to my website here, um, uh, Against the Grain. We're, we're launching a new website for that one. We're going to get rid of the Wix one. We're going to launch a whole new website for Against the Grain, um, as well as being, I would love, the, the more information that's out there, the better. But I do need to make a little bit of money because, unfortunately, I can't eat air. I've tried, and it doesn't work, that whole breathinarianism thing. If I could actually figure out a way to do it appropriately, then that would make my life really, really happy, not having to eat anything again because I wouldn't have to kill anything to eat it ever again, be it a vegetable or an animal. But I, I, I'll waste away. And if I waste away, you guys won't have this crazy bag to be on the radio show to tell you what's what and hear her lose it with her good friend, Rod. Um, so, hey, did you want to do your, um, your, um, what the fudge is it called? Uh, your meditation today? Yeah, I could. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if you do, then I'll make sure that I set like an hour of time because um, we've got an hour and 54 minutes left. But I'll set the last hour for you if you want to do your guided meditation. If you don't, that's fine. Do you want right. to do it? Yeah, I'll just stop there. Yeah, as in you don't really want to, or yeah, as in you'll definitely do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and do something. You'll do it? Yeah. Okay. Then when we get to the one-hour mark, we'll hit another commercial break, and then I will hand the floor off to you, and you can take as long as you need um, to do your guided meditation. It could be like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, the whole hour. I really don't give a damn. But I will hand the floor over to you then if that's what you want to do. I've got no problems with that. Absolutely none. I'm just looking over this agroecology. I'm trying to find a good news article because I've just already lost it on taxes and this political nonsense, Hegelian dialectic bullshit. And now I'm trying to find if funding woes can be overcome. Okay, I'm trying to find a good... Because a lot of farms are starting to get into agroecology, and it's not full-blown permaculture, but it's a lot more nature-aware farming. It's making that shift. It's like a halfway shift in agriculture, if that makes sense. Uh, See, there's an article here on Kenya that looks fairly interesting. Lebanese project promotes agroecology for farmer autonomy. This was done in June. All eyes on agroecology. See, I'm seeing a lot of articles here for agroecology in places like uh, Vietnam, Lebanon, um, India, Kenya. You know, it's really interesting because I don't see a whole lot of articles. I'm going to have to get my um, thing again, but I'm not seeing like a whole lot of articles for like North American agroecology. They do have like the uh, the wheat something. 
I can't remember. You can, I'll have to, I'd have to log into my email and see what it is. But they do have like a, a wheat board. It's not like a board. It's like a wheat something. I can't remember. But they, they talk about agroecology and they have this coffee talk that I attended last year in February. It was actually incredibly interesting that they brought in like a bunch of people, um, people who were experts in like um, pests and um, plants and things like that, um, that they were talking about the current challenges that people are facing. It was specifically wheat. It wasn't really any other grains, mostly just wheat, but the challenges that they're facing when it comes to pests and how they can mitigate trying to um, grow crops with things like diseases and pests that are um, causing issues for these crops. I mean, a lot of it was like, well, we have these different strains of crops that are resistant to this and strains that are resistant to that. And in Canada, um, it's not it's not GMO. The only thing that we really have approved here, I mean, uh, well, see, that's the thing. As I thought that we only had approved, like, GMO, like, commercial crops for uh, wheat and canola. And I was going over some things with my friend the other day that they have fucking GMO apples, GMO summer squash, GMO, like just the amount of things that I had no idea were even approved. And you know, at the, like, on one hand, I'm not even shocked and surprised. I'm just shocked and surprised that this all happened in the last five years. And I feel like I knew about it, but I didn't realize the extent of it because it just kept happening one by one by one. And you know what? Let's cure. I'm curious. Let's just go to Google here quick. What, uh, what GMO foods are approved? for human consumption, uh, USA. Mm-hmm. Holy fucking political. Wow. Okay, we're going straight to the FDA website, boys and girls. Okay, this is on the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, www.fda.gov slash food slash agriculture dash biotechnology slash GMO or GMO dash crops dash animal dash food dash and dash beyond. So GMO crops, animal food and beyond. Oh, what kind of nonsense are they going to give us? Okay. Do I need to take a fucking, I almost feel like I need to take a bong hit or something before I read this stupid shit or crack a beer or something. I feel like my brain is just about to turn to mush. Okay. Here we go. Oh, Lord be with me. Let's go, baby Jesus. It is very likely you are eating foods and food products that are made with ingredients that come from GMO crops. Many GMO crops are used to make ingredients that Americans eat, such as corn starch, corn syrup, corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil, and granulated sugar. A few fresh fruit and vegetables are available in GMO varieties, including potatoes, summer squash, apples, papayas, and pink pineapples. Although GMOs are in a lot of foods we eat, most of the GMO crops grown in the United States are used for animal food. Oh my God. To make it easier for consumers to know if the animals they eat contain GMO ingredients, the U.S. Department of Agriculture maintains a list of bioengineered foods available throughout the world. We're going to go look at that after because I am going to just lose weight. 
Additionally, you will start to see the geo, or sorry, see the bio, quote, bioengineered, unquote, label on some of the foods we eat because of the new, or sorry, the new national bioengineered food disclosure standard. What GMO crops are in the United States? Only a few types of GMO crops are grown in the United States, but some of these GMOs make a large percentage of the crop grown, for example, soybeans, corn, sugar beets, canola, and cotton. In 2020, GMO soybeans made up to 94% of all soybeans planted. Holy fuck. GMO cotton made up 96% of all cotton planted and 92% of corn planted with GMO. You want to talk about a scary reality of losing your food sovereignty? Monsanto owns everything you eat that's processed in the store, ladies and gentlemen. Wow! In 2013, GMO canola made up 95% of canola planted, while GMO sugar beets made up 99.9% of all sugar beets harvested. Wow! Holy fuck! You know, I really, I, I got to share this with the alternative community. Because a lot of them are saying, stay away from the grocery store, the processed foods. Like, I wonder how much of this GMO stuff is ending up in the organic stuff. Can, can you even have GMO products in organic produce or in organic processed foods? I know you only need to have 95% of the ingredients are organic and the last 5% don't have to be. And I'm beyond curious to know if, and if so, how much of this shit ends up in the organic products like noodles and things like that. Because if 99.9% of all sugar beets harvested are GMO, 94% of all soybeans planted are GMO, I mean, all of the clothes you're wearing is GMO. Through to your system. Wow. Continuing on. Most GMO plants are used to make ingredients and then are used in other food products. For example, cornstarch can be made with GMO corn and sugar can be made with GMO sugar beets. And sugar is in fucking everything, ladies and gentlemen. Granted, it's usually the high fructose corn syrup. But if it's not that, Check to see where your sugar is coming from. Oh, did you know that there's a sugar strike happening right now? I didn't know there was a sugar strike happening until a couple days ago. Blew my mind a little bit. Okay, moving on. Corn is the most commonly grown crop in the United States, and because of it, most of it is, is GMO. Most GMO corn is created to resist insect pests or tolerate herbicides. Bactillus thuringiensis. BT corn is a GMO corn that produces produce, proteins that are a, sorry that are toxic to certain insect pests, but not to humans, pets, livestock, or other animals. Bullshit. But there are there are the same types of protein that organic farmers use to control insect pests, and they do not harm beneficial insects such as ladybugs. 
GMO BT corn reduces the need for spraying insecticides while still preventing insect damage. While a lot of GMO corn goes into processed foods and drinks, most of it is used to feed livestock like cows and poultry and chickens. Your food is being poisoned. Soybean. Most soy grown in the United States is GMO soy. Most soy, GMO soy is used for food for animals, predominantly poultry and livestock, and making soybean oil. It is also used as ingredients like lectin, emulsifiers, and proteins in processed foods. Holy Cotton. GMO cotton was created to be resilient to bullworms and help revive the Alabama cotton industry. GMO cotton not only provides a reliable source of cotton for the textile industry, it is also used to make cottonseed oil, which is used in packaged foods and in many restaurants for frying. Sea meal and hulls are also used in food for animals. Potatoes. Some GMO potatoes were developed to resist insect pests and diseases. In addition, some GMO potato varieties have been developed to resist bruising and browning that can occur when potatoes are packaged, stored, and transported, or even cut in your kitchen. While browning does not change the quality of the potato, it often leads to food being unnecessarily thrown away because people mistakenly believe brown food is spoiled. Papaya. By the 1990s, spring spot virus nearly, the disease had nearly wiped out Hawaii's papaya crop and in the process almost destroyed the papaya industry in Hawaii. A GMO papaya named the rainbow papaya was created to resist ring spot virus. The GMO saved papaya farming on the Hawaiian islands. GMO summer squash is resistant to some plant viruses. Squash was the, one of the first GMOs on the market, but is not widely grown. Canola, canola, because of course, canola. GMO canola is used mostly to make cooking oil and margarine. Canola seed meal can also be used in food for animals. Canola oil is used in many packaged foods to improve food consistency. Most GMO canola is resistant to herbicides and helps farmers to more easily control weeds in their fields. Alfalfa. GMO alfalfa primarily used to feed cattle, mostly dairy cows. Most GMO alfalfa is resistant to herbicides, allowing farmers to spray the crops to protect them against destructive weeds that can reduce alfalfa production and lower the nutritional quality of the hay. Apples. A few varieties of GMO apples were developed to resist browning after being cut. This helps cut down on food waste, as many consumers think brown apples are spoiled. Sugar beets are used to make granulated sugar. More than half the granulated sugar packaged for grocery store shelves is made from GMO sugar beets because GMO sugar beets are resistant to herbicides. Growing GMO sugar beets helps farmers control weeds in their fields. And then last but not least, the pink pineapple. The GMO pink pineapple was developed to have pink flesh by increasing the levels of lipocene, or sorry, lysopene. Lysopene is naturally found in pineapples and is the pigment that makes tomatoes red and watermelons pink. 
What about animals that eat food made from GMO crops? More than 95% of animals used for meat and dairy in the United States eat GMO crops. Independent study has shown there is no difference in how GMO and non-GMO affect the health and safety of animals. Bullshit. I have seen studies where it has affected. So now what these independent studies are talking about, because there are lots of studies out there that show that cancer, a lot of fucking issues of tumors, metabolic issues, the uteruses of pigs become heavy and fucking just gross cancerous balls. There are so many fucking out there. Don't lie. You fuckers lie. This means that animals that eat GMO food do not turn into GMOs. Well, bro, uh, the DNA of the GMO food does not transfer to animals that eat it. This means that the animals that eat GMO food do not turn into GMOs. Well, sure. Over time, though, it's going to fuck your DNA, but okay. You are what you eat, literally. Or you can cause gene expression, like hereditary fucking issues. When you keep suppressing the body in certain ways, causes these issues to fucking, your genes can learn. That's the scary thing about a lot of this shit, is your genes can learn. And they can learn to express these issues when you're lacking certain nutrients or you've got stresses on the body that these genes start expressing themselves a lot more and causing issues. And then your body learns from it. And then when you have offspring, it might be a trait that's expressed in your offspring. I mean, look at, what the hell, what's her name? Son of a bitch. I can't remember her name. But they did a study on, and this is more so, um, like there was a couple studies that were done that people, what was it, during World War I, World War II? Oh, man, I'm going to have to try and see if I can find that study. But there were studies done that people who were subject to starvation, their children that they produced, more likely to keep weight on them that they had a harder time losing the weight because it programmed their genes programmed their children's bodies due to the extreme stressors of like skeletal like starvation that their children the body literally learned when it gave offspring to produce children that have a harder time losing the weight they they gain they keep the weight on them a lot more and, of course, there's studies and stuff in there that, like, have to do with generational trauma and all that other shit. It's, it's phenomenal, these studies that have come out. But you're not going to tell me for one second, oh, an independent study, kiss my ass. An independent study that you paid for, good to know. Independent. Oh, yeah, just as independent as WHO pushing their fucking COVID vaccines again. Break the Nuremberg Code, flaunt it in everybody's faces, and not a single government has held them fucking to account. Definitely independent. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, if it did, an animal would have the DNA of any food it ate, GMO or not. That's literally a thing, though. Like, that's literally a thing. Where are these people getting their information from? Like, It's literally well known that when you move to another country, like, your body is accustomed to the food that it was eating. Like, where do do you think we get, like, our freaking, our our genes, like, our our DNA tests and shit from? Like, bro, 
came out sounding really stupid, but... Oy vey. Okay. Um... In other words, cows do not become the grass they eat and chickens do not become the corn they eat. Well, sure. Because, you know, you know, it, can I just point out that they literally teach us evolution in school? Can I just point out that, like, literally, 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 they teach you evolution in North American schools, in westernized schools, that when you have certain animals and certain geographic conditions and certain foods, that animals will have gene mutations to be able to adapt to their environment, to be able to adapt to the foods they're eating. Sorry, excuse me. And then they will give offspring. They will create offspring with those genetic mutations that are able to thrive in that environment and adapt to the new foods and those kinds of things. Like, I don't understand how the fuck they can teach evolution in schools but then feed you GMO food, say, don't worry, it's no different than the other food that we've been eating for generations, millennial. Even though it's all a bunch of different hybrids and things, they created something in a lab, and then they're giving it to you, and then they're going to say, don't worry, it's not going to cause problems over time. And then they have these independent studies, which are a bunch of lies. You're, you're not going to tell me that when you suddenly give an animal a new food that was made in a lab, that it's, and then when you have these offspring that are able to adapt to this new GMO lab food, they're going to keep breeding those offspring. Like, isn't that what evolution is all about? Maybe I'm just cracked out and, like, completely out to lunch. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Ron? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what they teach is that uh, the the the, gen- the children's generation has variations, and back in the days of one-celled organisms, it was. If you look at the history of life, uh, there was life pretty much as soon as the Earth was cool enough for it maybe half a billion years later or something like that. And uh, it changed very slowly. Uh, and so we can have, we know that there can be mutations because of uh, cosmic rays, for example. And so if, uh, if you've got a one-celled thing and then it's got a progeny that's a little bit different, maybe it's better, maybe it's worse. Generally, it'll be worse adapted to the environment and those will die, but once in a while, one of them is better, and then that one has more progeny, and that's how your new gene gets gets started. And then when the blue-green algae embedded the whole male-female thing, then they can mix genes, and you get a lot more variations in the next generation. You still get new genes, but you get new combinations. So mm-hmm. again, again, the next generation is a little bit different, and some will do worse, and most of them will some will, most of them will do worse, and some of them will do better. Or, yeah. Maybe most, no, most of them will do worse, but 
that's 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 for random mutations, most of them do worse. Uh so again if, if some survive and some don't, then there's gonna be some kind of some kind of common pattern. Charles uh Charles Fort who was a skeptic. He was the kind of guy that when he was a kid, the teacher told him that if you put two cloths on a two handkerchiefs on a uh on a piece of snow, on a snowbank, one of them is black and the other is white and it's in the sunlight, the black one will absorb more heat and it will melt the snow underneath. And so he tried it, and then he found out that the white one melted the snow faster. So he didn't believe anything in everything he was told, uh, for whatever reason, whatever that worked. So he said, uh, oh, I, I can almost find the quote here. He said something like, uh, uh, Darwinism tells us um, that the the fittest survive, and fitness is never defined. Um, uh, goodness, I almost got it here in front of me. Um, yeah. uh, sorry, I've got a couple of quotations from him. True universal mind. Must it be sane? He said that if you find yourself opposing something, every resistance is itself divided into resistances resisting each other. So if you think you are opposing something monolithic, you're not. It's going to have its own resistances. He says the best strategy seems to be never attempt to fight a thing set its parts to resisting each other. Hold on, you got really far away. I'm sorry. No, you got far away again. Sorry. Oh dear. Oh dear. Every resistance is divided into resistances resisting each other. So uh, the best strategy seems never to fight a thing, set its parts to fighting each other. He was also talking about degrees of being real. He said, do you want power over something? Be more nearly real than it. Hmm. He says, I conceive of nothing in religion, science, or philosophy that is more than the proper thing to wear for a while. He says, I believe nothing of my own that I have ever written. He says that that's not what belief is, is for, not for what we shouldn't believe anything, I guess. Mm-hmm. A belief is not based in fact. It's just just like an opinion. There's facts and uh, there's often. opinions and then there's, you know, knowledge and then there's belief. Yeah, Gnosis, I should say. There. Gnosis versus belief. Yes, he says, I, I cannot accept that the products of minds are subject matter for beliefs. I shut the front door upon Christ and Einstein, and at the back door I hold my hand out, the welcoming hand to little frogs and periwinkles. Hmm. Interesting guy. Um, mm-hmm. He says, almost all people are hypnotics. The proper authority saw to it that the proper belief should be induced, and the people believed properly. He says, if you... Uh, is not a hippopotamus. 
then he would never try to persuade a hypnotic. Hmm. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So he said that uh, Darwinism, <clears throat> Darwinism cannot mean that the strong survive or that the smart survive because weakness and stupidity are found everywhere. Uh, the only criterion for survival is that the thing should survive. Darwinism, that survivors survive. And he's quite right about that. There's, uh, it's just whatever, is, whatever happens, survivors will survive. But there might be some pattern in how they're adapted to the environment. There might be, maybe the environment changed. Uh, and so the survivors will have in common that they have genes that help them survive in that environment. So uh, there's been so that's the basic picture of Darwinism that you get random variation and uh, and two parent um, sorting of, sorting out of genes to get variations in the next generation and then some die and some survive and those that survive probably have in common that they have genes that were better adapted and so you get you get uh, for example uh, moths with spots white in some places they're white moths and then in a place where there was a lot, uh, the white moths are, um, are let's say, easily, easily seen by woodpeckers or whatever it is that eats moths because they're sitting on top of trees that are mottled, or vice versa. Maybe it's willow trees that are white and the mottled and the mottled uh, spot. I think there was a Scientific American had an article about this because there was a current debate, I suppose. So I think at, at first uh, there were only white trees and only white moths. And then later, the trees started becoming speckled because of uh, pollution. And then, then mm-hmm. there started to be speckled moths. Start, the speckled moths yeah. started to show up. They started to survive. So that's the basic picture. And then that's been modified lately with something called epigenetics, which is where we have not only genes themselves, but also we have proteins, proteins attached to the genes, which can also yeah. be duplicated and passed down to the next generation. So how do those proteins get there? Well, there could be many ways. It has everything about how genes are read, if, if you think of them as a, as a tape recorder or a book to be read, uh, the process of reading them involves attaching proteins to them and turning them on and off. They're always turned on and off, and they turn each other on and off, and it's all very complicated. Um, just about any way that something ha- can happen will be a way that things happen. Uh, yeah, so, so you have all these proteins and, and Nobody knows exactly what 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 it encompasses, and so it's a lively area of research now. Everybody wants to be an epigeneticist instead of a geneticist. Yeah, um, another Scientific American article was about uh, uh, eels, electric eels, and I think the argument was, well, how would an electric eel with the power to shock its prey, how would that evolve from something nearby? Because evolution goes by small steps, generally. So how would you get something like that in one – you can't get it in one step because you have a lot of genes that you know, they have to work together at the same time, and you can't get it in tiny steps because a little bit, a little bit of ability to, to shock your, your prey doesn't help you. And so somebody studied this, and they said, ah, first of all, electric eels have, uh, are easy to identify by sight because they have, straw, they have a, a long straight – they hold their spine straight when they swim. So that doesn't disturb the electric organ, and the electric organ itself is a modified muscle. So somebody looked around and said, "Are there other fish that look like that?" 
them in South America. They found some some fish that, that look like that, but they're not electric. But they measured carefully, and uh, they do put out a little bit of electric field. And they have electric sensors in their nose. So when they swim near a rock or when they swim near another fish or, or some bubbles or something, it changes the way the field is because they conduct differently the water. Uh, and, and they can t- tense the feel in their nose. You, you may have had the experience of rubbing a, a balloon, and then you, you can hold it next to your hand, and you can feel the hairs in your hand standing up because of because of this electric charge on the balloon. Similar kind of a thing. So this fish has an electric sensor in its nose that can, can tell it what's in the environment because it's got a little bit of electric generator. So that is, the, that is how they looked for something and found it. Where does the evolutionary step between an ordinary fish and an electric eel? So uh, now you're you're wondering about GMOs. Uh, in the most simple and obvious way, our genes our genes are you know they come from our parents and they don't not from our food. Uh, so we digest things and they're they're supposed to go through a digestive system. They get all taken apart, and your your DNA is not supposed to be imported wholesale. Well, uh, bacteria can exchange genes, and that's kind of a problem. In, I don't know what, to what extent colds can do that. And they actually package them up in little circular, circular things. And they, they, they touch other bacteria and they swap genes. So that one of them has, has developed a gene for resisting, I don't know, acid or, or something or, or uh, an antibiotic even. And it meets others and swaps that around. So at that level, they, they learn how to. And if we've lost the ability to do that, you know, we probably have, have the ability to do that if we need to. So the, the I can't say it's impossible. It's not part of the basic picture. You know, the basic picture is we got we get we got two cells from the parents, it becomes one cell, it becomes all these cells, and then and the DNA just falls down. But that doesn't exclude the possibility that other things could happen. So it's it's possible it's not part of the basic picture, but it's possible that, that we could be importing genes from our food. Um, a friend of mine took a physiology class and to- was told that uh, we have the ability to recognize, I think it was proteins, because you can break a protein all the way down to its amino acids and then put it back together all the way from the, from the beginning. Or if your body is a little bit smarter, you can recognize, oh, this is something I, I want to use and just settle it to where it needs to be. As my physiology class taking friend said, that's, that does happen, that we can recognize proteins at least. So whether we also recognize, oh, here's some DNA I can use, I don't know. I can't exclude that. Take on that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I feel like my brain's gonna explode now. Need a break? Um, no, no. We'll go for a break in like five minutes so I can do my do my commercial. And actually, you know what? Maybe we will take a well, what time is it here? Uh do 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 one twenty. There's no way we have twenty minutes left. Oh yeah, we do. No, we're good. We'll keep going for another fifteen minutes and then we'll take a commercial break and then when we get back you can dive right into your meditation and then as like I said, more work I'm gonna give you the full hour if you wanna do it in ten minutes, thirty minutes. 50 minutes, I don't really care. I just want to make sure that you have adequate time this time that I don't, 
have to cut you off and be like, hey, we're ending in 30 seconds. I want you to actually have proper time this time. Yeah. Here's the quote. It's pretty much the way I remembered it. The fittest survive. What is meant by the fittest? The strongest, not the cleverest. Weakness and stupidity everywhere survive. There is no way of determining fitness except in that a thing does survive. Fitness, then, it's is only another name for survival. Darwinism, colon, that survivors survive. Mm. Uh, So, you know, he says that uh, there is not a physicist in the world who can perceive when a parlor magician palms off playing cards. And that is a problem in investigation of psychic research. uh, James Randi is a magician who is uh, interested in uh, in detecting frauds and you know one yeah. uh, and so he has the ability to to sense when a magic trick is happening, which your your average scientist is simply not equipped to do. They're equipped to investigate the natural world, but not someone tell me he's fooling them. Today is the superstition of tomorrow. Science of tomorrow is the superstition of today. If human thought is a growth, like all other growths, its logic is without foundation of its own and is only the adjusting uh, constructiveness of all other growing things. A tree cannot find out, as it were, how to blossom until comes blossom time. A social growth cannot find out the use of steam engines until comes steam engine time. We have, we have uh, ideas about ancient civilizations when there are huge stones that were put together in, all over the world. Uh, and then there are cruder stones put on top of that, so it looks like there was a good civilization that they knew what they were doing, and then the next generation forgot. And whether it was the end of the Ice Age and uh, flooding and so forth, yes, at the end of the humanity tends to settle on um, in, near the seacoast and rivers. And so, at the end of the Ice Age, when ice in Antarctica melted, and there's also a story of a comet, and comets are made of ice, uh, hitting somewhere and causing a, a rise in the sea level. Uh, in the Bible, it says it rose and then receded again. But at uh, the end of the Ice Age, it would have just risen. And so people got flooded. Of course, there are there, are, there have been many many floods, uh, lo- lo- local than otherwise. So, they're, they're, you know. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, oceans rose, and wherever civilization was, they moved inland. And so you have Sumeria. Appears to be the first in early civilization, and it appears to have come out of nowhere. Well, it couldn't have come out of nowhere. I bet they just moved up from some place that's now underwater. And there's a lot of interesting archaeology, uh, underwater archaeology. If you look at, uh, if you look at uh, near Japan, there's there's a, a stone structure with stairs and things. Obviously, used to be above water, or the water used to be below that. Um, 
And so, you know, um, Charles Ford is talking about you, you, before you can invent a thing, you have to have a, a certain uh, base of other inventions. You have to develop, you have to develop your civilization step by step. And you know, so, if a, if a comet had flooded everything, it might be, it might be that people had time to move up, up, uh, uphill, and maybe some of them didn't. Maybe it was so rapid that a lot of them died. That it, um, I don't really have any expertise on that. Wise men have tried to understand our state of being by grasping at its stars. There is an underlying oneness of all things. It does not matter where we begin, whether with stars or laws of supply and demand or frogs, or Napoleon Bonaparte. One measures a circle beginning anywhere. One measures a circle beginning anywhere. I have some quotations from Descartes who basically said he basically had one narrow area and he questioned everything. And then he said, well, can I question whether I question things? Well, now I have the answer. Yes, I do question things. So I think, therefore, I, I must exist. And his second conclusion was that God must exist. Because he says, I've always been of the opinion. And no. He says, uh, I think it was Socrates said, the only thing that I know is that I know nothing. You know, it was really interesting. I saw a post the other day. Actually, I'm going to see if I can find that post of a friend. And I really like this guy. He's he's pretty freaking smart. I love having conversations with him. I'm going to see if I can find Um Let me see. Maybe... I think it was an old post that he had commented on. He was fighting with somebody. But, you know, I just find it, like, really interesting that in his life's journey, going through life, that he has determined through logic and fact that there is essentially, like, no God, no creative force, nothing outside the self that is greater than. And then it's like, but all the old scholars like came to that conclusion after copious amounts of thought and questioning. And, you know, we might not know what it is, but there's something. There's something that is beyond ourselves and there is something, you know, it's like and in my study of like natural law and like listening to like natural law and speakers and stuff like um like uh, the one time I was listening to Mark Cassio and he was talking about how the universe respects or the re- the universe rewards those that take action that work in unison. Now this could be for the goal of chaos or this could be the goal like the chaos and fear or it could be for the goal of you know, order and love. 
regardless of what it is, those who act in unison, regardless of the goal, tend to have their goals achieved and the universe respects and gives those who have the courage to make it happen, happen. And I know that can sound like really shitty that it's like, oh, well, these serial killers, you know, that means that a serial killer could just have the universe respect them for serial killing or anything like that. It's, It's like, I mean, obviously there are things like consequence, but if a bunch of people together in a ring who have the goal to kill people work together in the same mind, work together in the same body, have the same, you know, emotions and the same everything, they will manifest a reality that is their goal of, like, killing people. And it's not for the good of society. Eventually, at some point, the pendulum might swing and there might be a bunch of people who see that as morally wrong, because it's morally wrong, Um, that's what it is, they'll work in unison to make that stop happening. You know, it's like in the universe will respect that. So it's just, it's just interesting that like, you know, it's like my friend can go through like logic and fact and determine that there is no creative force, but like you read a quote from, what was it, Socrates? Is it Socrates you read? Uh, Socrates said, I know nothing. Uh, Charles Fort said most of the other things. Uh, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Yeah, like all of these great scholars, these great questioners, these these men who spent their life just exploring deeper amongst themselves that, again, like they come, they conclude that there's something. It, It might not be the Christian God or the spaghetti man in the sky or whatever it is, but there's something. And I just think it's interesting that you you, you brought that up. That I I wanted to bring up that point that it, they just that just popped into my head. Just kind of looking at the state of world today, that it's just like, huh, interesting. Anyway, back to you. Hmm. Well, um, I think Descartes said uh, the only thing we have power over in this universe is our own thoughts. And Wallace Wattles, who talked about manifestation in 1910, uh, said a, a similar thing: "Do not expect your mind to go out and do things for you. Keep it, you know, keep it directed, to, keep it home, and make it uh, focus on yourself." Uh, I said, "Do not, do not expect the spirits to do do work for you. They have their own work. <laughs> there, there might have been a, there was probably a, a, a fad of spiritualism. There was a fad of spiritualism." Uh, there were seances and things. Houdini, and he died in 1926, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first first person to fly an airplane in the continent of Australia in 1910. He said, "Well, mm-hmm. anybody's forgotten their magic over there, the Australians will remember him for that." Uh, so he was that era, and he went around because his wife died, and he wanted to, or his mother, I think it was his wife, and he wanted to contact her, so he went around to spirits who had seances and he was disgusted. Not only they were frauds, but they weren't very good. They were doing magic tricks that weren't very good. So he was offended by that. So he made a kind of a, a campaign to go around, you know, testing these people. So 
uh, yeah, Wallace, Wallace at the same time uh, said, do not, do not expect the spirits. So, so there must have been a, a fad of, of uh, people advocating, oh, I'll ask the spirits to do things for you. Maybe you could have your advertisement now, and then we can get back to it. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. We just hit. I mean, it's. I mean, it's five minutes to one, but I think we're going to have the advertisement now, and then I'm going to hand this over to you for your meditation. So, for everybody listening, we're going to take a quickie break, and we're going to listen to some advertisements from commercials, and we're going to come back. And after the commercial break, Rod is going to go over a um, guided meditation for us um, because have it the show he wanted to do one last time but we didn't really have a show and stuff or he wasn't available last time that last time Pixie was here okay i will talk to you guys no we're not done yet wow my brain is frying out apparently i need this guided meditation more than most okay we'll be right back after this commercial break hello everyone i am broccoli man at night I fight for organic GMO free food. During the day I fight crime against child trafficking. Please watch my story on rumble.com. Just look up Broccoli Man and you can see my regular run-ins and follies with Globalist, The Wiretap, The Millennials, and everyone else I run into. I fight communists and very pro-free speech. Just check me out. Broccoli Man. On rumble.com. Of all the grounding studies, the one that really got our attention is called Electric Grounding Improves Vagal Tone in Preterm Infants. In the study, 26 premature babies in an NICU were connected to grounding wires. The heart rates of the grounded infants stabilized, and their vagal tone, a critical measure of infant health, increased by 67% with grounding. The information is provided for general informational purposes only. The contents are not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Ground Therapy Incorporated makes no representations about the efficiency, appropriateness, or suitability of any specific tests, procedures, treatments, services, opinions, healthcare providers, or other information that may be contained in or available through the information provided. Did you know that every time you swipe your debit card, those behind-the-scenes transaction fees make the big banks even richer? In 2016 alone, these fees added up to $60 billion. Yes, that's billion with a B. Well, what if there was a way to have the convenience of a debit card, but reroute those fees from the banksters to organizations actually doing good in the world? Organizations that protect the environment or feed hungry children? What if your swipes could literally change the world? Well, Groundswell SPC has found a way to do just that. We've designed a Visa debit card program that shares transaction fees with your favorite cause. Groundswell partners with nonprofit organizations that promote the card to their supporters. Their supporters then use the card to power the mission of the nonprofit. It's a win-win-win for everyone, except the big banks, of course. Groundswell is about to launch its first cards into market, and we're inviting you to be part of this movement as an investor in the company. Go to WeFunder.com backslash Groundswell card to learn more. Set up a free WeFunder account and invest in Groundswell today 
and get your money on mission. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your governor speaking. Today's training evolution, dogfighting, taking on the corporate media. The rules of engagement are as follows. Number one, don't fire unless fired upon. But when they fire, you fire back with overwhelming force. Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill. Number two, never, ever back down from a fight. If I could complete the question, though. So you're going to give a speech or ask a question? Number three, don't accept their narrative. It's wrong. It's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative, and you don't care about the facts. It's why people don't trust people like you, because you peddle false narratives. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get up on Please check out our sponsor, Save Around. Save Around coupon books have been with us for several years, and they help you save money when going out to eat, renting a car, buying flowers, and all kinds of other good stuff. The good thing is you can view the coupon books before you buy. Please go to our website, freedomizerradio.com, and click on the Save Around book that you'll see right next to our chat room. Like I said, you could preview it before you purchase, and hopefully you'll save yourself some money and help us as well. Please check it out. All right, we're back. Apologies about that little bit of silence there, ladies and gentlemen. My phone, not my phone, my, my computer stroked out there for a second and shut off the blog talk and whatever. It's a mess. Um, so we're back and we're going to hand the, uh, the, over the course of tonight, we've been talking about, uh, permaculture, um, taxes, indigenous rights, um, genes, um, started getting into some philosophy here. And on top of that, uh, we're going to hand over the floor here to Rod to do his guided meditation. So without further ado, the floor is yours, Bud. All right. Let me position and relax everything as much as you can. And focus on your breathing. And notice as you breathe in. And notice as you breathe out. And although you Try to relax as much as you can. You notice that your muscles still have plenty of tension here and there. So if you can move a little bit, that'll help relax. Wiggle your fingers. Wiggle your toes. Move your feet up and down. And just move everything around a little bit. A little bit of wiggling. And a deep breath. And let it out. And notice, pick some muscle in your body that has excess tension. It might be your shoulders, because your shoulders fight gravity all day. It might be somewhere else. And just see if you can monitor how much tension that has. And you can imagine being at the beach and 
grabbing a handful of sand and squeezing it and then letting it go until your your attention can be let go just like the sand. So you can let your attention go out of that shoulder and just like sand running out. And then notice another muscle, maybe maybe a leg has some tension in it and focus your attention on that. Feel the bleeding through. You can feel the, the muscles quivering. And so let that one relax. Uh, you can focus your attention on, on the top of your head. If the top of your head is heading tension in it, just let that go. And then down to your forehead and your eyes. We have facial expressions all day and you can you can let that go. And even your ears, your ears could wiggle. And down your next level, your, your mouth and jaw. You carry a lot of tension when we talk all day. And let that go. And then your neck, you can move your head very slightly back and forth, left and right. And that will make the muscles on one side or the other relax. You have tension on one side and relaxation on the other as you move back and forth. But as you put tension on one side, it's wired up to cause the other side to relax. So if you move back and forth gently, that can relax more effectively than just sitting there and try to relax. Because your attention a little bit farther down on your neck, and now move your head side to side, so that joint is moving. The muscles move a little bit differently. And you can relax those. You can nod your head up and down. That will that will move and relax the muscles in front and in back. The, the muscles behind your behind your neck and behind your head are the ones that cause tension headaches if those get too tensed up and they pull on your skull and your scalp and and that causes pain. So you can nod gently back up and down. And you can peck like a bird. That'll exercise a different joint, move the muscles differently. Peck like a bird back and forth gently, relaxing all those muscles. And down to the shoulders again, you can roll your shoulders in, in circular patterns. Could be forward, could be backward, doesn't really matter. Almost like rowing a boat. I don't think I ever have rowed a boat but I can pretend to row a boat. And in your your upper arms, your hands and lift them down again and move those muscles. And you can flap like a chicken. Chicken wings, move those muscles. Gently relax them. Your lower arms and in your chest, uh, you can maybe bow not like moving your head forward and back, but maybe you could sort of uh, bow forward and lean back so to move your spine around a little bit. You can move side to side, move one shoulder up and the other one down. That'll move your spine from side to side. Pull your fingers and make make a fist and let it go and make a fist and let it go. Move them so like forearms. And you can move your hands in little circles and uh, pretend you're playing volleyball, pushing away, pulling towards you. 
Focus on your hips. Maybe move one hip up and the other hip down gently. And then you can move your legs as if you were walking. And then, uh, and then you sort of imagine walking so that your your feet and legs will be moving a very, very small amount as you visualize being a nice forest or in a desert or a beach or wherever your favorite place is, even on a sidewalk, you're just walking along, enjoying the sunlight and the birds, and walking along and relaxing everything as you walk along. Um, and uh, Wallace Waddles and, and many others have emphasized the importance of gratitude. If you want, if you want more from the universe, you ought to be grateful for what you have. And you ought to signal that when you get more, you will be grateful for that. And so we we practice daily gratitude of counting our blessings, like Thanksgiving or whatever. We uh, can imagine all the things that we're we're grateful for, and we can fill our hearts with the feeling of gratitude towards this beneficial universe that's so bountiful and providing us with all these things. The channels to receiving more. And then you have, along with gratitude, you must have confidence and faith that what you are. Faith that when, when you visualize something, you desire it, and you desire it for, for good reasons. Uh, and it will set in wheels the motion to bring it toward you. And you should have faith that it is on its way, and gratitude that it will eventually arrive. So if you can fill your, your heart with an emotion of, of faith, Everything will work out well, and and even if everything ends in horrible death, well, that that worked out well. So it had to happen, and we should be grateful for that. And uh, you you did mention what if people visualize and, and and manifest horrible things? Well, they do. Right? History is full of that sort of thing, and it, the universe does bring you what you what you uh, visualize and work towards, and, and have faith and gratitude. It's hard to imagine anyone having faith and gratitude for horrible things. Maybe it happens. Uh, so it's it's up to you to make sure that what you desire is a good thing because the universe won't do that for you. Um, you should have confidence in your own abilities and in, in the universe to do what it's always done. As we work towards goals, we uh, we should have excitement towards uh, at, a, at a new project, it's uh, imagining some new thing that we're going to, to do or create. We're excited about it, new project. We should also, once we get to work on it, we have a sort of slogging determination that, that uh, no matter what happens, we keep going because there are always reversals. Waddle says that when you approach obstacles, uh, they have a way of becoming smaller than they appear as you approach them. And you have to have you have to have your faith and determination and gratitude to to approach these obstacles and watch them become smaller. Otherwise, you'll just turn away, and, and all you remember was there was a big obstacle. Uh, and then we have have joy, joy and happiness go along with those gratitude, joy of simply being alive. That's uh, that's a 
fantastic, amazing thing that the universe exists and we exist. If you didn't, if you didn't know such a thing, you could never believe it. Well, there's a guess what? There's a universe. There's all these stars. There's a ground underneath us, and we can breathe. Ah, what are you talking about? It's silly. Enjoy it. Simple living and being able to breathe. So let's breathe some more. Deep, deep breath in and out, and you can breathe down to your down to your belly. If you are lying down and put a a book on your belly, maybe the book would go and put your hand on your belly. Your hand moves before your chest does. So we have our deep breathing. Uh, and the more, the more we can feel these these emotions in our relaxed state, the more we'll be able to call on them during waking waking hours when we're trying to do things. Maybe an image will come to mind as you relax. It might be a memory. It might be un- unfinished business, something unresolved. It might be some past trauma that you ought to see if you can work through. It might be fear for the future, or it might be joyful anticipation for the future, or both. Uh, or it might be a memory of something good from the past, or it might be... Uh, it might be an image of your sensations. Maybe you, you put your hand on on something and you, you feel it and you can visualize what you feel. And all these different images can go through your mind, past, present, future. And your unconscious communicates with you in this way. And maybe your unconscious is trying to communicate something specific. And so we pay attention to all this imagery and ideas that just pop up and see what you're unconscious. What kind of message could this be for me that you're trying to tell me? Uh, Stuart Lichtman has has a program of uh, communicating with the unconscious. And he said once he wanted an investor. And so he closed the curtains on his office and sat in his favorite chair and relaxed for a while. And after a while, a name popped into his, his head. Uh, it based on all the reading he had done. This, this was the most likely person to, to want to invest in his venture. And so he, he made a phone call. He called his lawyer to make sure everything was prepared. And he called his investor and said, I have an, an idea that perhaps he'd like to participate in. And the investor said, great, get on this plane and, and fly to me to New York and, and tomorrow I'll discuss it tomorrow morning. And so they did that and they, they started up a business. So it all began by closing his curtains and relaxing. No, it began when he did all that reading to find investors so that he had something to draw on. So he was very much into interested in communicating with the unconscious. The unconscious can communicate through us through, uh, through images that pop up or maybe a word will occur to you or maybe, uh, maybe a body feeling. He's very interested in body feelings. Uh, uh, an ache in your rib might, might, might be some trauma that happened long ago that you want to release or it might be some other kind of message. And he's very interested in blockers, uh, that's self-defeating habit patterns. But, uh, oh, I can't do that. When you start to do a project, oh, I can't, I can't do that, I shouldn't do that, oh, that sort of thing. These were things that, that had a purpose when we were younger to keep us safe. But they no longer have that purpose. We've outgrown them, and so they get in our way, and so they need to be resolved. It's by communicating with the unconscious and saying this, 
this doesn't need to be there anymore. It's it served its purpose, and we have a better way now. Um, so, however, your your unconscious can communicate blockers to you as as body feelings or something else when you think about certain things, or maybe you want to do a project and you you feel something stopping you. It's time to communicate with your unconscious, negotiate. Uh, this, this is, I really am safe. Uh, I have different ways of being safe now. Um, um, uh, what else do I have listening? People also talk about key, about your center of <clears throat> your center of balance, your center of gravity, which is normally somewhere around your belly button. But uh, you can imagine it, imagine it projected down to the center of the earth. Because your center of gravity doesn't actually move, but this reorganizes your muscles. It's a communication with your unconscious to to reorganize the way you're moving in such a way that you're going to be more stable. But they use that in Aikido a lot. Um, Imagining the center, the one point, as they call it, going down, 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 and that'll make you more stable in the way you move. And they also have a saying: weight underside. If you have your weight on your underside, then you're more stable. If you have your weight psychologically on the upper side, then you're going to fall over. You're going to be unstable. So put weight underside and put move your center of gravity down while relaxing and breathing and feeling joy and gratitude and excitement, and contentment. Sam, is anything brought to mind? I'm sorry? Quail? Quail. Oh, you asked me that question, or is that just... Oh, I was... Uh, yes, I was asking. Quails, quails are interesting. Oh, they're very uh, graceful, and they... Uh, they don't have to worry about the things that we worry about, but they they have a whole different kind of thing to worry about. And sometimes whales can jump up and turn around and land on their backs. And some say it's to dislodge uh, creatures living there and some you know, particles or whatever. And some say it's the simple joy. It's like having a dance. Just because you're a thousand tons, whatever a whale weighs doesn't mean you can't dance. The joy. So these whales all have that joy. So maybe wheels are manifesting what they what they desire. Is there is there anything else that comes to mind? An image, a color, a word, a face. Anything interesting? As we relax, so of course you're going to want to think about your. Your plans for the future, all the things you're going to be busy doing in the proper time. Uh, so, you know, so prepare the unconscious for all that, all that busyness. It'll be like a, like a whirlwind going around you, but you're going to be still and, and calm in the middle of all that. And, and, and the, uh, all the busyness will simply go around you and through you, and not, but not. Uh, Disturb you, and as you throughout the week, uh, you can relax all the muscles that you're not actually using. Very important if you're if it's digging a ditch or lifting a stone or anything, uh, you're going to use.
used certain muscles, and those need to be tensed. But the opposing muscles, all the other muscles, should be relaxed. Otherwise, you're just fighting yourself, as well as lifting the stones. Uh, before you do any kind of physical work, take some deep breaths and relax. Pay attention to your head and neck and shoulders and arms and chest and legs and feet. And relax everything for undertaking any kind of action. And the same is true for emotional uh, work or dealing with people. You can relax everything before you engage with them. And then, uh, then all the, the sense of calm, and the calm that will calm them down. And uh, uh, sometimes when, when, when we hear something, our first impulse is to disagree. That's part of partly our schooling. Uh, our teachers are all nitpickers. Uh, and they have the business of of uh, finding any spelling, anything you did wrong in spelling or whatever, and marking things down. They're all nitpickers, and so we we all become a culture of nitpickers. You think that's the right thing to do, and it's not always the right thing to do. When someone says something you don't agree with, the first question is, "Do I really understand what I'm hearing?" Because maybe what they meant to say is something different from what you're hearing. So let's. And instead of disagreeing, first of all, the first thing we should do is to make sure we understand what's being said. And that will help. That will help calm the world down. You can feel attention running out like sand from your your toes and as if you had squeezed some sand and letting it go. If you can squeeze t- sand in your toes and let that go. And notice any place in your body that has unnecessary tension. And move, wiggle gently back and forth to get that muscle shorter and longer and shorter and longer. And that will help to move that tension out of that muscle. Always breathe. And now notice another muscle. Maybe it's an ankle. It's been working all day. Now it's twitching a little as it relaxes. Muscles always twitch a little bit as they relax your body and feel all the sensations here and there. Feel your your blood circulating. Feel your heart and your pulse beating. Sometimes you can feel your pulse in other areas like your fingertips or your ears. Feels as if your body is going to melt down into the floor and become a puddle. That's the most relaxed thing. And then we can can concentrate on the things of the mind and what we we desire. We can make it imaginary that we remember remember being in some creative place. Maybe it was first grade uh, when we were introduced to paint. We had those huge shirts to cover our clothes. We had this huge paint brushes to smear paint around, and that was our beginning of our creativity. 
maybe that can be some laboratory in this design arc. You can visualize some arc based on that being in that place. Or maybe it's some other place that we've been that we associate with creativity so we can go to that place in our minds. And what is it that you want to create? I'm sure you have a list until you imagine the first thing that you want to create and put it on the put it on that easel, the table, workbench. How to how to make it, how to how to how to put it together and and what it will feel like, what our feelings will be when it's finally manifested. And all the joy and excitement that we'll have is it's finally real. And uh, and relief because all the work is over and We'll have joy and gratitude. This this wonderful thing is finally here. And maybe it wasn't exactly as expected. Things generally don't arrive as expectedly. You know, sometimes the universe gives you something else instead. You wanted a sandwich and you've got a banana. Now enjoy your banana. All, all the delicious tastes and flavors and sensations of the banana. Along with uh, knowing what we desire, we should also know as much as possible about what's real and how to do things. So the more you can learn about how things are done and how things are made and how things come to you, that's that's better because then you you can help put those to work to bring things to you. And, and the more you know about what is real, the more you can help help out of all the things you desire to choose the one or several that you're going to try to manifest first. The ones that, the ones that are closest to being real. And another part of reality is knowing all the people who are willing to help you manifest. So if you choose a goal or some desirable thing that, that it benefits many people in addition to yourself, you can get their you can get their labors and effort and their their manifestation going along with you and make a make a current. So if Elon Musk simply said to himself, I want to go to Mars by myself he said, I want I want sustainable energy, I want electric cars and many people responded to that and now he's got a, a current. And people are willing to, to help him without People come out of the woodwork and contact them. Well, yeah, I have an idea for this. Generally, they're not not new ideas, but he, so he's got his as a publicity and because of getting other people involved and aligning what he wants with what they want. He's got this tremendous current moving in his favor. Current of manifestation. Uh, he also has a, a sense of reality owned by taking engineering classes, so he knows what classes as well, so he knows what's more possible, more likely and possible in the human world and, and what isn't. I can feel my heart beating and pulsing. So we have the, the present moment and our sensations and we have the past and our memories. And we have the future and our desires and hopes and fears. And we have gratitude for all of these things. 
we have some attachments and uh, Buddha said attachment causes suffering. He said that suffering is bad, so you should not have attachments. Or it could be the other way around. Maybe maybe if you're attached to something that's worthwhile, then it's worth some suffering. Or we at least should should know what attachments to have and what attachments to let go of. Maybe it's time to let go of something. To have some new desire. John Coaches, please organize my desires and present to me something that's most desirable to desire now. Something to manifest. John Coaches, please organize my memories so they won't just be popping in on, uh, for no reason. Please send me, please send me messages that when it's important for me to know something. And please let me know when I'm receiving a message from my unconscious. Unconscious, please help me relax all my muscles and relax everything that's in my emotional tension that's not needed. We think it's needed and then it isn't, and we keep it around anyway. Time to relax all of that and let go, let go of it. You're unconscious. I want to communicate with you so I can communicate my desires and, and you can communicate to me anything that's in the way, any blockers or any uh, anything I should pay attention to to help manifest my desires. Or maybe if my desire should not be manifested, you should, I want you to communicate that. Whatever is highest and best good for all concerned. Tingling in my toes is as the blood circulates, and I think those are also muscles just relaxing here and there. And a little, little tingling sensation. And Jose Sola, brain waves. He said that when our brains are most active, we are awake, and then we're, when we're intermediate, then we're in a sort of creative world, and then when it's really low brainwaves, then we're asleep. And he wanted to lower the resistance of of the brain. He found out that an electric current or a radio will travel faster if there's less resistance. He said, what if we lower the resistance of the brain, metaphorically anyway? So he, he got interested in the idea of relaxation to make everything work better. Uh, and then his main focus was in healing, because what is more important than health? So we we relax and we go down to our level, as he said. Five, four, three, two, one. And then we are in our little laboratory, and maybe we can visualize the human body. Maybe it's ours, maybe it's someone else's. And we can scan up and down for any anomaly, anything that needs attention. Um, and then we can imagine correcting a problem with a, a little eraser or, or a little uh, you know, tools of some sort. And these are, these are all symbolic communications with the unconscious. So the unconscious communicates by symbolism. And so if we want 
an eraser is a symbol that says there's something there we don't want it to be there anymore. So I I go through a pantomime of in my mind of erasing something and that communication to my mind, to my unconscious, there's something I don't want to be there anymore. Or uh, maybe you see an empty space and you think maybe there should not be an empty space there so let's let's fill it up with something. Uh, I don't know, cake frosting or concrete or, or whatever. Uh, just to, to fill an empty spot that you communication with the penis sometimes it should be filled with something. And the unconscious will go looking around things for things to fill an empty space with. I remember a, a blue feather manifestation exercise. They said Imagine a blue feather and, and visualize it, and then a few weeks later you will you'll actually see a blue feather. It's something that's not uh, it's not common. You don't see it every day, but it's not so rare that you never see them. And so I, I did that, and then ten days later, I was in the dollar store walking along, and there on the floor I saw a blue feather, and I looked up, and it was part of it had fallen off. There were, there were more of them. It was part of a product. Uh, and this one had fallen off. How many times in my in my life I've seen a blue feather and not taken notice of it? No idea. Did this just make me attuned to seeing a blue feather that I was going to see anyway, or did it actually blue, or did it actually bring a blue feather into my life? Well, one thing that's certainly true is if your mind is is full of other things that are not blue feathers, you're not going to see the blue feather when it is when it does arrive when it is in front of you. And so we, uh, whatever good thing you want, you need to attune your, you need to visualize it and, and imagine it being real, and that will attune your your attention to to see it when it does arrive and notice it. And we should make room things. If you if you want a sewing machine, but you don't have room for a sewing machine. Well, then if you if you do come upon upon one, you don't you won't be able to use it. So you, you need to create a space for things with, with faith and gratitude that they will arrive someday. And you can put up things in proper places as they arrive. Imagine being in a forest some birds chirping, their flowers, and sunlight. And maybe you're walking along a path, or maybe you're sitting on a stump, or maybe you're doing jumping jacks in the forest. And everything is wonderful. And imagine walking along. As you walk, if you imagine walking, your, your legs will move a very small amount. Walking is such a basic thing. We've done it millions of times. It just It's uh, automatic. We can just imagine walking and those muscles will move a little bit as each muscle moves through its cycle of tension and relaxation. It will, it will relax a little bit more. But that will help tension in other parts to leave your body. Sam, are you brought in mind of anything at all?
and feel my feet relaxing and that my shoulders relax and my shoulders relax and that makes my feet relax. To any spot in your body as as the sensations arrive, what you turn one after another. And imagine being in an elevator moving down and down. Become more grounded. Being in a uh, on a slide. More uh, swimming. Or even playing a sport as you imagine moving those muscles. Doing those things, your muscles will move a tiny amount. Making you feel them relaxing. You could imagine doing some some physical work, maybe even cooking. As you as you move things back and forth, your arms will will move a tiny amount. Use it as you imagine doing all the things that you, you do in the kitchen. All those muscles will move a tiny amount and help relax. You can enjoy the, the memories and the sensations of all those delicious. For some reason, I'm thinking of marbles. Marbles like sand, you can let go of them, they'll just roll away. I remember cat's eye marbles. Some marbles were are more valued than others because they're prettier or maybe more rare. I can imagine holding a, a marble and turning it around and looking at the light reflecting off the inside in different ways. Maybe that marble has a meaning. What would a marble mean to you? It could mean beauty. It could mean eternity because marbles last a long time. Could mean to move because marbles roll. Maybe there's a marble in my future, or maybe it's a marble from my past. Sigh, it's really about eyes.
10 minutes left. So you can imagine some kind of work that you're going to do during the coming week and uh, during your, your state of relaxation now, we can imagine doing that work with as much relaxation as possible. Does our opposing muscles uh, simply fight each other if we try to have too much tension? So we can imagine that now, and then when it comes time to do that, we will remember back what it was like to, to relax and work at the same time. And maybe there's some difficult people that you have to deal with. And if you can deal with them while being relaxed, they will be easier to deal with. You'll, you'll see that what you thought was difficult, maybe it's just an illusion. That's just that's just a, a way of being. Your center, if you can if you can keep your center, keep yourself on center and keep your center of gravity low, then Whatever this person is saying can just go right over your head and not bother you. For some reason I'm thinking of ancestors, and so our ancestors have experienced uh, almost everything that we are experiencing, except it's a different flavor now because it's the modern world, but all the basic. All the basics of life are exactly the same as, as uh, all our ancestors have done way back through time. And so many, many cultures, before they worship the sun, they worship their ancestors. And there's probably some wisdom in that. You can call them. When you have a puzzle to solve, you can call on the wisdom of your ancestors. Somehow, cats know how to stretch and how to relax and sleep. You never see cats exercising, but they always have someone write an exercise book of how to exercise like a cat, stretching different ways. Those are lessons we often read of sleep. The Japanese and I suppose the Chinese are very much, very much attuned to nature, they're very interested in drawing lessons from nature. And the Japanese will design robots based on how animals move. And draw lessons from animals in how to relax, how to do things, or move. William William James, uh, one of our he was the father of American psychology, said uh, the beginner at the piano has to tense up all his muscles because he doesn't know any better. And then, uh, as as the learning process occur, continues, 
It's a process of learning how to relax all the muscles that you don't need. And that's a metaphor for everything in life, really. As we learn how to do things, we learn how to use less effort fighting against ourselves and more effort in simply doing what we're doing. William James also talked about the unconscious being uh, we, we need to communicate with the unconscious as if it were uh, a, separate, a separate person. Freud also talked about the unconscious being like a separate person. So I, I like to say to your unconscious, you know, communicate the way I would with someone else. Conflict with the unconscious. The unconscious wants something, we want something else. Uh, then, then we're going to have problems in our lives. And so it's important to, to communicate with the unconscious and, and uh, make sure everything is lined up. I'm sorry? It went really quiet for a minute. I wasn't, wasn't sure if yes, you were still talking or what was going Okay, keep going. Your, your yes. All right. Um, uh, visualization. There are some people who cannot visualize. You say, imagine a, a beach full of people and umbrellas and chairs, and they just, nothing comes to mind. It's just blackness. And I think, well, maybe it's supposed to be on my island. It's more like a memory of a place. If you remember being in some place, and you can make a variation on that memory, uh, that's sort of like what visualization is. Or, or the sensation of something being in a place where I can put an object in front of me, and I still have a kind of a sense that it's there. I have a memory that it's there, the sort of spatial memory. And I think that's related to visualization. So... Uh, when we say visualize things to manifest them, if you don't know what visualization is, then maybe there's some other way to approach it, or maybe uh, we need to deal with that. Uh, but also we, we feel the feelings of having that, that wonderful thing, whatever it is we desire. How, are, how am I going to feel once I have it? So we imagine it already here and feel all those all those emotions of uh, this wonderful thing being manifested. You now have two minutes until nine o'clock. Fifty eight. So we can visualize all the numbers in turn. What does a one look like? And what does a two look like? And if you're not seeing it, maybe you can feel with your hands what would a what would a wooden two feel like? Or a three made of wood. What that look like or feel like? Or a four? Or a five, it's round at the bottom, but my left right hand is round and my left hand is all square. Or a six. It's got curves everywhere, sharp point. Or a seven, that's got three sharp points. Or 
or an eight. That's round all the way around. Or a nine. That's round and up on a sharp point. Or a zero. A nice circular thing has no beginning or ending. It's all round. In a while, he said, kept getting different muscles moving. So you can you can imagine moving, walking backwards. What would that be like? We move. We can walk forward again. Now nine o'clock. Nine zero zero. Feel and feel the pulsing in my my toes and feet and up to my knees. Are you feeling anything notable? Are you asking me? Yes. Okay, so I wasn't sure if it was part of your meditation or if you're asking me. I just feel really relaxed. There was a few things that were said that was just like, I don't know, especially at the beginning. It's just like, there's some synchronicity for you. Huh. Interesting. I'm definitely ready for that, that's for sure. You're ready it's for... It's like very... I'm ready for bed. Bad news. Very... Strong. That's, that's that. what I feel. It's just really relaxed. So we are now after nine o'clock. Yeah, the uh, thing is telling me like four minutes left. So I think we're going to call it a night if you're okay with that. And go to bed. And everyone listening, you can continue to listen to the silence and you can. Continue to relax until your unconscious tells you it's time to do something else. Alrighty, guys. Said continue to listen to silence, and we are going to see you again next week, Friday. Have a very happy Friday. Bye, all. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.